for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Time to talk elk calling, y'all. Today, we have part two of our cast calling series, Know Your Bait. We talk about what calls we lean towards for some certain situations or types of bulls that we might come across at certain phases of the rut. Because, y'all, if you can first understand what type of bull you're dealing with, then you have a better chance of using the right bait to bring that booger in. That discussion, our Elk Bros shout-outs, and questions from our awesome Elk Bros mailbox, and a special introduction as we get to meet the winner of our Hunt with the Elk Bros giveaway. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your hosts, Gilbert Ornelas and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? And they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host to your show, coming to you from an undisclosed location. And from Katy, Texas, that's right, we got the leader of the Venezuelan mafia in the house, Mr. Luis Gonzalez. And from Cuesta, New Mexico, we've got the legend himself, Mr. R.C. Knox. And from Cimarron, we've got your elk hunting coaches, Leroy the Ninja Chavez and WWJGD. What would Joe Gillia do is in the house and joining us tonight and this September at our own Elk Bros. Elk. We have the winner of the hunt with the Elk Bros giveaway, Mr. Cody Kirkpatrick. (laughs) Welcome, brother Cody. Awesome. Thank you guys. Welcome to Elk Camp, brother Cody. Yeah. And, and we got some thank yous, first of all, because on everybody, I don't know if you can tell, but you know, we've been on here for a while trying to get everything technically right because Gilbert man is on the road and, uh, and, and dedicated finds a hotel. I think he knocked somebody out, took them out of their room, went in there and hooked up. Exactly. <laughs> but man, uh, I, Gilbert has yet, I think, to ever miss an episode, man. I mean, this dude 
Uh, and where are, I mean, where are you headed? But we don't want to give away where you're at. If you, you know, it could be, you know, I yeah, know witness we'll, protection. We'll be playing ball this weekend, uh, in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. So I'm, uh, I'm between there working and, uh, was in Longview yesterday, South Texas today. And now I'm about eight hours north of all of that. So, uh, wow. you can be through three states in Texas in eight hours, man. So I'll, uh, I'll let you, you know, you can figure that out if you can. Eight hours from H town to wherever I'm at right now. But the problem was, is I could have pushed all the way on to where we needed to be, but we needed to, number one, we needed to make sure that the podcast happened. So I was tired and ready to lay down anyway. I didn't get much sleep last night. So, um, been dealing with these girls playing ball in college, Joe, you know, I'm yep. real about that so we're chasing we're chasing the rest of them to get them committed to college and um yeah but i wouldn't miss a segment especially about one of my favorite things (laughs) which is something that we can all get better at especially when we learn from the master of disaster himself the king of sting mr wwjgd he's gonna have it all broke down for us so let's get the party started joe yeah, um, and, you know, we want to talk a little bit to Cody here. I just want to let everybody know that if you're hearing some, you know, Gilbert doesn't have his regular mic, and he's, you know, he's trying to make do there. So if you hear some other noises, we apologize for that. But we are here. It's just like we're around Elk Camp. We have a member with us that's going to be joining us around Elk Camp in September. Cody, man, uh, how, tell me something, man. When you found out the that you were <laughs> – because I think I actually called you and told you, man, that, uh, that, that you lost because I, I think I told you you're going to be sleeping next to Manano or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was actually listening to y'all's podcast. Um, and, uh, my phone rang and I looked at my truck and I said, Joe Gillia, New Mexico. And I was like, these phones are getting too smart. <laughs> so, it, it is a, whatever. I guess I got to answer it. So I answered it and said, this is Joe. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I pretty much say that too. When he calls me, <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys what though, uh, this episode, I told this to Joe, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but the juice is going to be worth the squeeze today, brother. I promise you. <laughs> so in, if I remember right, you, you got a little bit excited about this because something happened to your vehicle. What was that? <laughs> yeah, this is embarrassing, but I will tell it. Uh, so, hey, hey, if you're going to be with us, you better get ready, man. <laughs> so I pulled into the gas station and I'm still on the phone with Joe, fill up my truck, get on the road, get off the phone with Joe, go to call my wife, have a blowout. And I'm so rattled. That, you know, what should have taken 20 minutes took me like an hour and a half on the side of the interstate. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so then I get almost all the way to my destination and, uh, my truck starts acting up. I pull over the side of the road and, uh, I realized I put gas in my diesel truck. So a couple hundred dollars later, I got that figured out. 
$200 later. So yeah, it's not yeah. a, how much kind of $200 fish? No. So he sends yeah. me a text and, and, and one thing I, you know, you might look at Cody and Cody comes across as this reserve guy, but inside Cody, there's a guy going, yeah! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Cody, did you burn up all the glow plugs? No, actually, uh, it, 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 I got fortunate and, uh, I was just able to drain everything, get it all cleaned out and, it's it's been running ever since, so oh, I've been good. good I got I got, got lucky. lucky. Yeah, how <laughs> very lucky. You figured wow. it out. How much? Yeah. yeah. How much did you drive until you noticed? Well, it sputtered once, and then I pulled over, so I didn't didn't run through the engine. I can't be, how much wow. gas? How much diesel was in the tank before you filled it up? <clears throat> uh, not enough, and I'd hate to admit how much gas I put in this. <laughs> I told you, listening to this podcast <laughs> caused brain damage, bro. I, I, <laughs> yeah. you, I, I, you know, I drive both a gas and a diesel, and I'm always like mm. fearful that I'm fixing to do that. You know, one, you put diesel in a gas motor and it ain't gonna hurt it, but the other one can do serious damage. <laughs> So, yeah, you got lucky, brother. Are you driving a 6.7 or are you driving a Dodge? Driving a Dodge. Gotcha. They're a little bit more tolerant of that stuff. And so, Cody, you're you're not new to elk hunting, man. You've been elk hunting for a while. In fact, um, most people don't know this, but your dad's actually listening in the wings because he's going to be coming to elk camp with you um, to join us there. Uh Kevin Kirkpatrick, both of you are KKs. <laughs> so that's kind of cool there, man. Um, uh, what are you looking forward to, man? Man, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, to everything. I mean, the com- camaraderie. I mean, you guys are, uh, you guys are what you are. I mean, <laughs> um, which I love. Um, and then, you know, just the, uh, the fine tuning, you know, I, I've, uh, I'm a student of the game. And, uh, you know, one of my mentors early on in my career told me, you know, if you want to become an expert, you know, read everything you can read, listen to everything you can listen to, find a mentor in it, and you will eventually become an expert. So that, that's kind of my, my journey right now. Well, who are you bringing with you? (laughs) (laughs) So Cody, you know, what is your uh, elk hunting experience? Um, so in high school, my dad and I, we used to go out in the fall and we go rifle hunting and, um, you know, um, that's pretty tough. Um, it's, it's all about finding the elk, um, was successful one of those years. Um, and then in the last, oh, I think dad got back into elk hunting about, I think 2016, I think. And so he started really, you know, he. He, he, he has the ability to hunt every day of the season if he wants. And so, um, I'd been buying points up till then. And then I'd finally decided in, uh, in 19, I said, Hey, I'm coming out. And, you know, he, he, uh, he has a different, uh, he, he sits wallows and he's very patient. And, uh, so very about, effective strategy. No doubt. Yeah. Every year, every year he kills one. If we'd have done that this year, we'd have all killed a bull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 
you know what's cool though is Cody's had has that experience. He has that time with his dad. Um, he's a very good caller. I've already so when Cody won this giveaway hunt, he not only won the hunt to be able to come with us, he also won the coaching that goes along with it. So we actually had our first coaching session um day before yesterday, bro. Was it or was yeah. it yesterday? yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, excuse me. I'm getting old and these days are melding together, man. But, uh, uh, we had our first coaching session. His dad was there and I'm, mean, we we're a, lo- a little bit over an hour. You're going to have all the coaches of Christmas past hitting you up, uh, Christmas future. So Gilbert there's going to be getting with you on, on, uh, uh, failure points. Chav is going to be, you know, touching base with you on, on physical stuff. Luis is going to be touching base with you. RC also on failure points. Uh, Luis is going to be getting with you and on, on your, your setup, which some of this is not going to take very long, right? And whatever you do, don't let him sell you on like 600 grain arrows. My man. My man, look at that. Yes, sir. Guy knows what he's doing. So, I love it. So, I said, dude, we're done. Our session is through. So, we got on the end of that. See you in September. Iron Will. So, yeah, Iron Will. I actually had some bullets that came in. These are Luis Gonzalez made. They're the bad bullets you ever shot, Joe. I told you, you thought I fed you crack. That's heroin, son. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a few things that aren't going to take very long with Cody. I mean, um, I think a lot of, a lot of it with him is going to be just some of the different strategies, different setups, different partner things. And a big part of it is, is until yesterday, I was amazed, man. And I know Kevin's listening to this, but I was amazed because Kevin doesn't have a lot of calling experience like his boy does. And we're trying to change that so that when they're partnering, Kevin can call for his son, right? And uh, he took a diaphragm call yesterday. Now, he had a Carlton uh you know, a native by Carlton that's got the metal ridge going and not the full dome on top yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And he was able to take that booger, put that metal behind his teeth, almost like when you take a piece of grass between your thumbs. Yeah. And he would get it there and use his lips to make a cow call. It was, I've never seen what? it done. So he had no mm. idea really how to place a diaphragm call in his mouth. But still, but still reproduce the the right sound. Well, not close the right sound, but <laughs> way better than Manano's attempt. <laughs> <laughs> but he was producing a sound, which well. you know, and he was like, "Well, you know, I, I I've got air that's just coming out, and this and that." And and I looked at how he had it, and I was like, "Okay." So we just worked on the placement, got him to say "push," "wish," get his tongue mm-hmm. right, and already, um. A hundred percent better. And I think he's now on a journey to be able to do that so that he can call for Cody. So that coaching experience that we had yesterday, um, wasn't just for one person. It was for two people. And, you know, just like, um, we have a second hunt with Elk Bros Adventures, we're going to be bringing in four people into our late elk hunting camp. Um, we'll be with myself, Gilbert, RC, Chav, uh, Guy Duplantier and Travis O'Shea, um, all as coaches there for him. And now that we've started 
Elk Bros Adventures. You know, it's kind of interesting. I've, we've never been in a situation where we have elk tags to sell. Um, we actually have unit-wide landowner tags that – and here's the thing. You know, I had people asking me about if we had archery tags. Well, we have mature bull rifle tags for October 8th through the 12th, and that's for muzzleloader. Uh, but I believe, uh, and I'm going to double check on this, that you can use a bow during muzzleloader. And I tell you what, man, that 8th through the 12th of October is prime time, man. I mean, they are screaming, going nuts. So, uh yeah, so it's it's kind of neat that we're in that that we're in that experience that we're having these new adventures like that. Um and Cody man, it we mm. we can't wait to have you and your dad in camp with us, but I, I'm telling you, you know, be ready, Bo, <laughs> because yeah, you know, uh yeah, we are who we are, man. So we we can hold our own. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So, um, welcome aboard. I wanted you here tonight. I, I wanted you involved with us. Um, tonight is going to be a pretty cool night because we're going to talk about cast calling and we're going to talk about the bait, man. Uh, just like Gilbert introduced there. But before we do, we'll get that party started and go to our Elk Rose mailbox, man. Okay. I'll start with Todd Gardner from Ohio. And his question is, my question is setting up on a water hole. We just talked about it. Yeah, it's so funny, man. It's in there. Yeah. I know Chav had some medical issues and couldn't hunt the way you guys normally do. I have the area and water I want to hunt, but I don't know how you set up for wind and thermals if you're sitting water all day. How did you pick the setup for Chav knowing the wind and thermals change throughout the day? Uh, I'll let uh, Jill kind of talk about how how or why they set it up the way they did. But I will say this, that, uh, I, you know, I, I felt that the blind really contained the scent really good because I had animals coming from every which way, every direction. And uh, at no time did the elk know I was there. Had a bobcat come in once and uh, an assortment of animals and at no time did they actually look at the at the blind, except for one one uh, buck came in, and he kept staring at the the blind the whole time. But after a while, he relaxed and, and started drinking water. So uh, as far as that blind went, it did contain the scent very 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 well. Now, Joe, was there any reason why you put it uh, where you did, other than it concealed it a little bit? Yeah, I think it was mostly. Um, we were looking for an area that had the best shooting view. Um, there were actually, if you, if you remember right, there was kind of a point of a ridge that fed down to that with a little bit of a funnel on each side of that with a high spot behind you. So, um, the thing I was looking at was the place that elk would most likely come off of feeling secure to go into the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the side that we put it in was, had the, the best backdrop. And, and here's the other thing. A lot of people think you have to have a blind in for, you know, two weeks for animals to get used to it. No, man. I mean, we dropped that blind in there and you had elk coming in, you know, the day after it was dropped in there. So, uh, we wanted something that kind of broke it up in the front that had enough, uh, coverage behind it. So it didn't just jump out and it, and in, 
So here's the things people got to remember about thermals. And I'm going to want RC to talk about this too, because he set up a lot of blinds in a lot of places. But in this particular area, it was like a little bit of a bowl. So thermals aren't the same all over the mountain, man. Um, you know, in areas that are cooler, they're going to pull and they're going to kind of stay. Um, in areas on the side of a hill, you know, depending on if it's in dark timber or if it's out in light, some areas warm up quicker and are going to get thermals to go up. Some areas don't because they're more shaded. Thermals are different according to the temperature of the area that you're at. And where Chav was had a nice pool in there, was fairly flat and kind of a little bit of a bowl. So, um, and like he said, he had a bobcat come in right off to the side that if anything should have known he was there, I mean, that bobcat would have. And an elk's nose, how many elk did you see in the days you were there, Chav? Oh gosh, a uh, couple of dozen. Yeah. You know. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. I will tell you one of the best things is, is it was in shade, Joe. Mm-hmm. When the sunlight comes and bears down on one of those, mm-hmm. uh, blinds, animals, sauna. like it, like real shiny. Mm-hmm. And so in the, when the, it was real shady almost all day where y'all set that up and yeah. that way, it broke up its silhouette, the whole nine yards. But when you get a big sunlight on one of those blinds, they shine like a diamond in a billy goat's ass. And I'm telling you, animals don't like it, you know. And uh it, whether it be deer or whatever, but the biggest thing was it was in a real good spot with shade. And like Chav said, that thing contains your scent so well. We hunt out of them religiously in South Texas for pigs and for deer and stuff like that. And they do a very good job of – of controlling your scent, you know, and keeping it in. And you know, as well as I do, elk are amazing, got amazing noses. So I think in, in inadvertently the thermals and the, the prevailing wind direction was probably in your favor the whole time as well. Well, and another deciding thing for us, Chad, too, was we, I put it in an area where your access to it was quick from the trail without getting and disturbing the rest of the area. So right mm-hmm. for you, yeah. for the rest of us, that was a hike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did have to leave the tent a few times, you know, to uh, visit mother nature, visit uh-huh. the tree. And so I did leave some scent, but you know, like I said, I, the, the tent did a real good job containing. I just wonder if, if uh, uh, Cody or even, uh, I'm not sure if Kevin could get back in. If his situation is different, does he use a blind or is it a ground blind or what, what does he use? He, he uh, so what what uh, what he's done is he built one um, just out of just out of logs, and it gives you just okay. enough, it gives you enough breakup. But Joe hit on something that's pretty key. Um, where the blind sits, it's on a kind of on a point with the wallow down here, so. When the winds, you know, even the thermals come up the hill, I think it pulls scent here, it pulls scent here. And I don't know if it, if that wind just hits, hits here and goes up or what it does, but I can tell you, um, time and time again, you know, dad's always telling me, oh, have one walk five feet behind me. Mm-hmm. And he's just sitting, he's just sitting there. But I, I think there's something to be said about that, that point. Well, and I, I can tell you, man, uh, a, a pop-up blind with the walls on it contain a ton of scent. I mean, um, RC, 
you know, think about where you guys had placed some of those, um, even like, I mean, when we talk about the one that was at the Waller up there in, uh, I think it was Kent's, you know, um, how, when you guys placed, what was some of your considerations for placement? I think mostly it was, uh, like you said, it needs to be in the shade. You, you don't want those things to be shining like a, a diamond, you know. So we always made sure it was in the shade. Uh, as far as your, your thermals, I mean, you know, you, you got a pretty good ideal by being there. And it's just like Cody said, you know, we had different places that it came up a certain way certain times a day um i think it was great because they're they knock it down i mean you know and mm-hmm. if it's and it, a lot of them we we would put kind of like in a low spot in other words if it was to where it's just like you said that thermal went over the top right yeah necessarily just hit direct and, and, and where Chad was at too, in most areas that we hunt out here, the prevailing breeze generally comes out of the west. And we actually had him on the east side of, of that waller as well. But I can tell you this, man, when I think about that, that, um, blind in Kent's Park, that, that booger was, that was only like 10 feet off of that thing, man. So, I mean, it was close, close. I mean, you could, you could pound on an animal. Right. Yeah, I, I so, put one in in Kent's Park, but it was down in the draw. Yeah. I mean, there's a little draw that went through there, mm-hmm. and I I put it down on the bottom there. That way, that wind just went right over. Our thermals went right over the top of it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome, man. So let's, uh, Luis. Let's go to the next one. Making sure I'm not muted. Uh, so from Daryl Dotterty, Stillwater, Oklahoma. Daryl. Uh, yeah, I love this, man. Hello, guys. I love your work, especially Luis and Manano's antics. <laughs> I just finished a fascinating book about testosterone called T. Uh, the, they reported a study showing that a bull's testosterone level drops dramatically after they lose a fight. A corollary study found the same effect in human men when our favorite sports team loses. Have y'all ever seen evidence of this in real life? And look, that's, that's why y'all have such low testosterone. I, I was just going to say, I mean, I can, I'll let the experts talk about elk, but I can tell you, uh, in human behavior, when Manano hangs out with me, his testosterone levels are at zero. <laughs> y'all can go ahead and talk about elk now. <laughs> Gilbert's just shaking his head, man. He's like, man. <laughs> Oh, man. He, he, said it, <laughs> he said it goes the other way, too, that when a bull elk wins a fight, his testosterone levels go up. Ah, so. Interesting. <laughs> who did this study, Gilbert? Like, no, who did that study? <laughs> exactly. I was going to say the same thing. Uh, like, no, who done that study? Uh, yeah, all I kept thinking about, man, was, uh, you know, I know that there's some football teams around the nation that have hardly ever win a game, and I wonder about the men in that city, man, you know, if they're <laughs> – <laughs> I mean, we could <laughs> I don't even know, I, you know. I'm very rarely speechless on the question, but I don't really know what to say, Daryl. I mean, 
<laughs> well, well, this year, brother. Uh, keep keep, uh, keep keep grinding. <laughs> uh, well, I, I thought it was awesome, man, because when he mentioned Luisa Manano and then talk about testosterone level after they lose the fight, <laughs> that was like, oh man, this is. <laughs> I'm trying that's, to figure. That's out. why Manano's is always a zero. He always loses the fight, bro. That's the whole, that's the whole camp. They always talking <laughs> over one another. The whole camp. We got no testosterone. Men are crying in camp. We shoot the bulls. I'm crying when I shoot a bull. Yeah, low T's a big deal, man. And we all killing bulls. I agree. I don't know what it is about uh, them mountains, man, but they uh, they get make us all sensitive for some reason, man. All right. Maybe when I get around a bull anyway, man. But, but really, to answer his question, you know, have you guys ever seen anything like that no. uh, with bull, elk? Haven't. You know, I, 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 all I've seen is here's some things that I've noticed is that I've never seen a big bull elk fighting with a small bull elk. I always see bulls of the same size, like to like with each other. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, I think those critters are a lot more intelligent and I think a lot of pecking order has already been established. And I think some of those bulls that are of the same maturity, um, Mm -hmm. are, you know, the ones that are going to battle out with each other to find out who's going to have next ups. Because remember, you know, um, when a cow comes in estrus, she's not, if there's enough mature bulls in the area is going to be bred by four to six bulls while she's in estrus. She's, it's not just the herd bull. So all those other bulls that you hear screaming and stuff all the time are bulls that are vying to be, um, to be able to breed that cow. And, and that cow selects them. So they are acting big. They're acting bad. They're fighting with each other. They're doing all that in front of that cow to get her selection. So um, what happens to their testosterone after that is I think those fellows that get knocked out of there are still coming back buzzing and still oh, trying to get their opportunity. Yes, most so, definitely. Yeah. Look, R.C. RC Knox can tell you firsthand what happens when a bull gets whooped and comes running towards us he don't give a damn his testosterone is through the roof joe you've got to do something to make the bull react otherwise he's going to do two things to you and that ain't none of them good (laughs) or do something else to you but you better do something hurry up do something i promise you see Knox and i were Face to face, that thing peeing all over us and I mean, literally inches away from us and RC's begging me to do something. He wants me to shoot the bull, do something to that bull because he was, his eyes, Joe, I'll never forget the eyes of that rascal, the whites of their eyes, bloodshot red. No, the T was going, bro. It wasn't going down. (laughs) Serious in front of me and RC. Never forget that, man. I I wonder, I wonder what happened to the T after he got an arrow though, man. That might have gone down a little bit. So I don't know, but I can tell you they're hot when they get whipped. Yes, sir. Uh, next up, Adam Vista from Calgary, Canada. Another question for you. When you are quietly sneaking on a herd of elk, when you finally get the opportunity to draw your bow, would you still cow call or bugle to cover your draw? 
this is this could this potentially scare the animal because you haven't made a noise up to this point. Thank you in advance and have a good day. And Adam, look, man, if I can draw without making a noise, I, I, that's what I'm doing, man. I'm, I'm not going to announce myself right. just to announce it unless it's a situation where, and, and you got to think about proximity. Okay. The farther away an elk is from you, the easier it is to make a noise and stop him without freaking him out. The closer that animal gets to you, eh, then things could change. So if if I have the opportunity to draw on that critter, maybe he's down below a hill and I can see the horns coming and I can draw, or I see tips coming through the trees, know he's getting ready to pop the opening and I draw. Um, you don't want to draw 12 foot in front of the animal when he's coming to you frontal and you want to throw a bugle in front of it like that. You don't, you don't want to do that. <laughs> It, it kind of depends, bro. Oh, oh, oh I see. Oh, I see. So, okay. so let me just tell you. Again, that, that comes down to us, man. So I have, I've had two situations in that. I have had a big six by six almost step on me, and I had no choice but to draw. So I screamed a bugle and drew, which hesitated him for a second before he turned, and then all I could see was fur, and I put it in. Now, when you take a younger age class raghorn, he's still running. By the way, that was actually September <laughs> last year. He's He's probably made it through the pass up there in Alaska and heading oh, towards yeah, Asia oh, right dude. now. That, that dude's eyes, man. <laughs> it's like, he looked like a teenager that got caught with the coach's daughter, man. I mean, his eyes got like that big, man. And he, he turned around and hauled Bud out of there. Oh man, it was. Oh, yeah. I was like, afterwards, I go, well, that didn't work. (laughs) In that situation, if Joe would have just drawn, that bull would have been dead. (laughs) But, but to answer your question, Bud, is there's been times where I've had to cover somebody's draw because, you know, we're movement where that animal's in the open. Um, now the other choices you draw anyway, because sometimes, see when an elk is moving, that's the best time to draw on them because everything's moving around them. So you can actually draw on that critter when he's moving and possibly your motion is not going to do anything. If you see him start to flare, then you've got to do something and, and, and stop there. But yeah. you know, I, I've been in situations where I've stopped him with a call. Um, Gilbert had a bull. Staring us down for eight minutes frontal. And, but I knew that was a dead bull because I knew as soon as that bull started to turn to get out of there, I was going to scream a bugle, stop him. He was going to, they have that fatal flaw. They stand broadside and they look at you. It gave me a chance because of that with Gilbert moving to draw and to stay. He had to actually step out a little bit. To, to get that shot, but with me screaming that and that bull stopping and looking, even if he sees movement because he's 30-something yards away, he correlates that movement with that bull screaming, and it's not going to freak out. So, yeah. How about how about this, Joe? He's, he's talking about a he, he's talking about a herd scenario, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think how about also um, kind of sensing what the herd is doing because if the herd is quiet. Then you don't, you know, obviously you're, you cow calling or doing something will, yeah. will potentially, you know, alert them. Uh, <laughs> well, but if okay. the herd is talkative, then, yeah. then it's a different deal, right? Well, 
yes and no. Because if that bull is where you're going to kill him, um, do not even worry about spooking the cows. Draw, mm-hmm. scream, focus on that animal because those cows can blow out and that bull will still stand there and try to figure out why they're blowing out. I mean, wow. I've seen it time and time again where cows will just – If he yeah. boogers, you can stop him. Yeah, absolutely. You can stop him in about 15, 20 yards. The, the only question thing is sure. – He'll stop and turn back and look. The only thing is is if his cows are taken out, generally yeah. he just does not want to lose the cows, right? It's not that he's really freaked out, but they're leaving, and he doesn't want to lose the party, right? So – If you um, get in there without saying a word, brother, draw yeah. Draw on, don't say nothing, man. You know, if he catches your movement, then you can do something if you want to with your diaphragm call. But other than that, man, be silent. Get in there amongst them. Even if question. you draw on them and those cows see you and they snap their head and they look at you like this, big deal, man. Let those cows say, kill that doggone bull. That's yeah. all you got to do. It's over. You're already question. Yep. It's over, babe. Let it send it. Good question. Cody, you take the next one, man. All right, uh, next question is from Mike Wade, Alexandria, Kentucky. He says, uh, I was drawn for archery elk hunt starting on September 10th in my home state of Kentucky. Yeah. Congrats, Mike. That's awesome. This will, this will be my first elk hunt. I got two questions. So first, I can't use a mouth call to save my life for turkeys, no matter how much cutting I do to them. I was looking at the Primos bullet bugle and a cow push button call that Primos makes a two-pack. Since I have to rely on online shipping, what is your thoughts on those calls? Which calls should I look at if not? And second, you want me to go to the second question? Yeah. Um, yeah, let's do the first one first on, on the calls. And, and I want to tell you something about that whole thing, cutting and stuff on them is I have seen guys that are cutting the crap out of these because they're trying to push those diaphragms too far forward in their mouth. As, yeah, as you, the way your mouth is made is as you come to the front, it gets smaller. As you go back, it gets wider as it goes back. So a lot of guys are trying to push that up way forward. And in fact, in front of their eye teeth there where everything starts to cram up. So one thing I would suggest to you, and it, it might not work anyway, is try to go a little further back in your palate so that the back of that skirting actually gets to um, right before that Right flat on the top of the of yeah, the right mouth. where it's flat, and it seals up there instead of trying to push it forward and cram it up inside that mouth. All right, so that's something for you to try as far as the mouth calls goes. But if you're not able to do it, there's some incredible external call read, external read calls. I mean, RC, you had one that you loved for and had a lot of luck with it. Oh yeah, Carlton uh, Hyper Cow. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that. One of the best calls made. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, you can actually use a hyper cow and use a squeeze at the same time, but I don't like the squeeze calls by themselves because they're the same all the time, right? Now, can you bring in an elk with them? Elk have died with that call. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I don't, I've, I only use mouth calls. You guys, anybody else that so, uses so, yeah. yeah, Mike, I, I want to say something to you. 
I have a problem where I have to cut my calls too. I have to trim them. But I want you to know something. We partnered with a really good partner to make the Elk Bros grinder, and I don't have to do that anymore. It's got notches cut out in it, much easier call to blow. It's not super hard. I put it in my mouth, and I mean immediately can make a sound. So I would I would reach out and, and get with Joe and uh, order one of those grinder calls and see how you like it. It's got some notches in it that really help seal to your palate a lot better. It's not as big as some of the other calls that are out there. And again, you know, the external calls that are out there, Primos makes a uh, a call that you blow on externally. It's called Make It a Bull Crazy. That's a really good external call. I've got one in my bag. What is you that know? one right there? Same. That's the same call. That, uh, make It a Bull make Crazy. It yeah, it's good. It blow it, man. Blow yeah. it. You hear it? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what Gilbert's talking about, if you, if you look at this, we've got notches in our diaphragm call that as it gets now into the roof of the mouth, they fold down, um, so that they give you a form fit inside your mouth so that that seals better without pinching the skirting on there, right? So it's, it's, it's an, you know, all credit to Travis O'Shea that came up with that idea. And when I first saw it after how many calls I've trimmed the skirts on or cut out notches, I looked at that and I said, there's somebody right there that, um, that, that knows the problems. So, you know, for me, when I got to Joe's house last year, he flipped me one call. I'd never blown a, a Wapiti River call, right? I've never blown a Travis O'Shea call. He threw me one call. I put it in my mouth and, Joe's like, oh my gosh. He goes, man, you didn't do anything to it, did you? I said, I didn't. I said, it's amazing. And he sent me the grinder, same thing. I mean, the first sound I made, I recorded for Joe, and it was killer, man. So he's on to something with us guys that got these smaller, more delicate palettes that need that, that little notch in there. I have to cut mine. I have to cut a quarter inch around on mine, an eighth inch around on mine to get them to fit my palette. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's not a, I love primos, man. Yeah. I, you know, we love the primos calls. So, and the Carlson calls, they all, all the externals are fantastic. You know, yep, absolutely. You got a little pinch call from, uh, the bone collector. You pinch it in between your teeth and, and yeah. I mean, it's simple to operate. You know? Yep. So let's get the second part of that. Okay. So, uh, second, <clears throat> they say that the Kentucky elk hunt is especially tough as they tend to not act like the elk from the West. What other advice would you give a brand new hunter? Wow. There's a lot. I mean, that's a podcast in itself right there. And, and I, I think I would tell you, man, is, you're, you're right. Those elk there do not act like other ones because it's, it's a whole different type of format. It's really thick. It's a lot like Oregon hunting in some ways on that coast. Those critters don't have to go as far. Um, when they get boogered, they don't go as far. Uh, they can, you know, there's lots of feed. They're going to be really spread out. You don't have high numbers yet, but you got incredibly great elk out there. I would, first of all, to find out how to hunt those elk in Kentucky, I'd talk to people that hunt them. You know, I'd find some people that have already hunted those critters in there. And as far as advice, man, I, you know, I think you're doing the right thing as far as listening to things like this, 
Um, go out and get some education on elk, on elk behavior. Do more on your knowledge side because you're going to shoot your bow. You're going to have your camo. You're going to do all that stuff. That's just a given, man. What people don't work on is they don't work on the knowledge. They don't work on the calling. They don't work on the intimacy of the animal. And I think the more you do that and find out about the area that you're in, I mean, that is huge dividends. The more you understand the road system, where the land goes, how those animals move, where the water is, Mm -hmm. where the thick cover is, and you identify those areas they like to bed in and stuff, once you do all of that, you have just changed the game for yourself. So I I would say get more knowledge on the animal, get more knowledge on the area, and you're going to increase your opportunity. Food, water, and travel corridors, brother. Yeah. Uh, And I don't know what that's like there. You know what I mean? So... Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Well, guys, you know what time it is. Those are some awesome questions, but it's time for the Elk Bro. Shout out, shout out. So this is just a shout out to the few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week, Joe. Okay, uh, before I hit the first one, I want to, we went to, uh, Purgatory, Colorado last week or two weeks ago. I'm not sure when this is coming out. At the uh, Mountain Archery Fest, and we met two of our listeners that I like to give a yeah, shout out we to. Did. Yeah, and, and that's Alfonso, Alfonso Yazi, and Michael Finlayson, and they were both there. They listen to our podcast all the time, and uh, we had a, a great visit with them. Yeah, that I, that was way cool. It was so cool to have people that uh, came up and say, you know, we listen to your podcast all the time, and and they meet these guys, and and they're diehard hunters too, man. Okay, uh, this top listening city is located in central Missouri and is 50 miles west of the capital city of Jefferson City in the metro area. Founded in 1848, it was it is named after the original owner of the town site and once had the largest lead mine in Cole County. The city hosts the annual Russellville Festival and Engine Show Parade on June 10 and 11. The event features car shows, tractor pulling, a parade, a baseball tournament, and numerous other activities. And this is in Russellville, Missouri. Russellville, Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> is in the house. Missouri. Missouri or Missouri. I, we're covering both of them for him. The man. South, call, the south, <laughs> south pronounces it different than the North, that's for sure, Joe. Yep, absolutely, man. And, and we actually had... We had two other top listening cities in the top ten from Missouri, and mm. that was pretty daggum cool. Here you awesome. go. Yes, sir. This Joe, this next top listening city is between Madison and Milwaukee and offers the perfect blend of small town values and an amazing outdoor lifestyle. First settled in 1836, the area was selected to utilize the power of Rock River. The power of the river was first used for sawmill industry and then later to hydroelectric dams. This city is home to the first kindergarten in the United States in 1856 in Watertown, Wisconsin. Watertown, Wisconsin. Yeah, home to the first kindergarten. Did any of y'all go to kindergarten? Yeah, I went to kindergarten. Yeah? Yeah. That's in. Yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't let me in. They kicked Luis out. (laughs) Manana had to go home. Hey, that, that, uh, that place was first settled three years after 1833. Who is serious? Or serious. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
what are you saying, bro? It's okay, man. You guys, you guys didn't get the the uh, the the Bruno thing last time, and a lot of <laughs> listeners did. The listeners will get it. Don't worry about it. You know, we got uh, we got this covered, man. We yes. talked about the prequel, bro. The prequel to the one of the greatest shows ever made. <laughs> all, all I know is from now on, when when you're not supposed to talk about something, I'm just going to go Bruno. Bruno. No, you say we don't talk about Bruno. That's what you got to say, bro. No, no, man. Just code word Bruno, okay? Oh, my God. Yeah. That, that's like it's as soon as I started talking up. about a hunting area, I could see Gilbert, like, getting all uptight. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. like, he's you're going to have to. Bruno, Bruno. You're going to have to do some editing here for sure. Yeah, the only thing, <laughs> the only thing, Gil, is all of those names are names we created. I understand, but one of them. One of them let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gilbert, just go, Bruno, 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 <laughs> Bruno, Bruno. So this next listening city, it's a, uh, this West Virginia city was named after Elk River, which flows into the Kanawha River. Uh, this city is located 15 miles north of the capital city of Charleston. A must stop is the Lazy Case Campground and Canoe Livery. And the surrounding mountains. It is heaven for outdoor enthusiasts and includes wildlife viewing, whitewater rafting, fishing, mountain biking, boating, shopping, and ATV cruising. Uh, Elk View, West Virginia. What a name. Elk View. Elk View, Elk View West Virginia. Yeah. It is a heaven for outdoor enthusiasts. <laughs> is that canoe, is it canoe liberty or canoe livery? It's livery. a canoe livery, I guess. Livery. Yeah. Like a livery stable. For outdoor enthusiasts. Yeah. But I, dude, I love, what I love, man, is I love how Luis, like, he's like jokey when he's talking about jockey. And then his Texan comes out, man, is, it's like viewing, you know, wildlife viewing, you know, it's, like, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Originally named, I'd say, I'd have said in Spanish next. <laughs> Originally named Bum Springs, this city is part of the Kansas City metropolitan area and is located in the northeast part of Kansas. The city was laid out in 1831 and served as a government road that connected Fort Leavenworth to Fort Riley. It was an important stop for both the Oregon Trail and the Santa Fe Trail. Notorious Confederate leader William Quantrill attacked the city and burned it to the ground during the Civil War in 1862. Yet, they recovered so well that Money Magazine named it as the 17th best place to live in 2010. Wow. Shawnee, Kansas. Kansas shows up, man. Look Deer, big Shawnee. buck country, Shawnee, Kansas, right? No doubt. Yeah. Big, big deer live in Kansas, that's for sure. And and look, I had a buddy of mine uh, text me the other day, had his game cams out on the river there in Kansas with three bull elk out to about number four now. Wow. Yep. So that, uh, these guys are thriving. They are spreading, man. They are spreading big time. Yep. I like it. Yep. Joe, this next Canadian city, that's right, our fellas north of the border, sits on the banks of the Pembina River near the halfway point between Edmonton and Edison. 
it is a staging point for the oil and gas industry. It has two major tourist attractions, the annual rodeo and the Pembina River Provincial Park, Provincial Park. River tubing at the park is a huge draw. In the early 1960s, a huge diamond was discovered on the banks of the river, triggering a diamond rush. De Beers Diamond Company, which we use in our drill bits, De Beers Diamond Company and two Alberta-based companies are located here in Entwistle, Alberta, Canada. Entwistle, Alberta, Canada. That's awesome, man. We we get so many listeners uh, from Canada up there. Just thank you guys so much for for checking us out and and getting involved with what we do. That's great. Now I only had one question about that huge diamond discovered on the bank. I you know after the, what Gilbert talks about, I, was there a Billy Goat up there by any chance? <laughs> yeah, he probably lost his diamond. What <laughs> shining no more, man. <laughs> Oh my goodness, dude! You come, you come out with some stuff, bro, man. I'm over like, ah. yes, sir. Uh, all right, let's get to it. Main content, y'all. Um, last time we talked about cast calling during the live show. Uh, I don't know how well that came across on that. There, I always struggle with the live show a little bit. There's so many distractions, but. Mm. What we're going to do is this is actually part two, and what we're going to do with this is our our main focus on this is know your bait because we talk about different things when we talk about cast calling. We talk about knowing the type of bait to use, the type of presentation, and how to you know what situation, when, how, and where to be able to use that. So um, what I wanted to do on this episode is I know a lot of people are like, well, what kind of calls do we use? And how do we know when to use those calls? And just like we talked about when we're fishing, because that's what, when we're talking about call casting, think about this. And as I explain it, it's the same thing. When I go out, I am casting my calls into an area. And it's just the same thing that, and I always go back to Gilbert, our pro bass fisherman there, you know, and when he goes someplace, he locates areas, figures on what kind of fish he's after because of what time of year it is, what the temperature is, what time of day, how those animals or that fish is going to act. And with that, he chooses the type of bait. Whereas myself, it's always a worm, right? (laughs) I'm like, I'm like those guys that are out there elk hunting with a cow call and a location bugle and a screen bugle. I mean, it's like one type of bait to fit all situations. And that's not, I mean, can you catch fish like that? Can I go out there with a bobber and worm and catch a fish? Absolutely. Yeah. Blind hog, find an acre. <laughs> but am I going to catch the amount of fish and the size of fish and the type of fish that I want to like Gilbert does when he goes out there on a lake, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's a little bit – what's that, bro? Yeah, sometimes, you know, when we when all the practice and all the things that are put together uh, come together, yeah, I mean, we, we're looking to catch the biggest fish in the schools that are there, right? So because uh, that's how we get paid. But um, finding them is the key thing. Right. And for us, finding elk's the key thing to even being able to call them. Right. If you ain't finding them, there ain't nothing there to call. 
Well, so I look at that a couple of ways, man, because uh, I talk about locating elk, first of all, like finding an area where they're at, right? And then once we locate an area where elk, where we're seeing sign or, or we're, you know, we have the idea that they're in there, um, now you got to find them or have them find you. Right. right? So that, that's the one thing that I, that I talk about is that, you know, I could go fishing and I could take and put a net out in the water in an area where I know fish are at and I can wait and I can wait. And, you know, when I think about this, you know, it's, it's like when we talk to your dad, Cody, about being in that blind, right? Okay. Your dad has been very successful being in that blind. But he's also talked about how it's been like, I, I, I can't remember. He said it was multiple days, like nine days before he actually had one come in there. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about a man that's willing to go into that blind for 30 days. Right. So if I am a hunter that goes and I only have a seven day hunt, and I'm having to wait nine days to have an animal to come into my blind, I'm in trouble, right? So the odds of that happening are going to happen because of the amount of days he's put in there, and he's willing to wait and wait and wait. Now, Chav had the same experience, saw a lot of elk that came into that blind. But what are the ways that you can actually increase your opportunities? So we can locate where elk are, and then we can actually wait to have that encounter or move to an area and hope to have that encounter or put our net out and hope one comes into that net, or we can do the things to have that animal find us. Right. And we were already having that conversation with your dad. We were talking about like, how could he in a time when he generally doesn't have elk coming into his blind possibly increase his chances. Right. Oh yeah. Call, you know, it, it's, it's kind of <laughs> like this. If you're in a baseball game and you're not swinging, you ain't hitting. If I'm out fishing and I'm not casting, I'm not catching, right? Now, I can cast out once and I can let that bobber sit in the doggone water and wait and wait and wait for something to come by, get a sniff of that, and pull that down and try to catch me a fish. Now, do I have any idea what I'm going to catch? Well, like in Chav's case, he had deer come in, he had bobcat come in, he had cow elk come in, right? How can we control some of those other variables? You control it by calling. And the thing is, is you got to have the right bait. So first things first, let's break down the bait. When we talk about bait, we're actually talking about those sounds that motivate an elk to come to us. All right. And what I want people to understand is, is that there are sounds that we use and there are motivations for why we're going to use those sounds. All right. So like, for example, let's just break down and into the bait. Just like Gilbert, you would have surface, you'd have deep divers, you'd have spinners, you have all of that, right? depending on what's going on. So let's talk about our tackle box. Here's our tackle box. We got bull sounds, we got cow-calf sounds, and we got big animal noises. This is our bait box. So when we're talking about bull sounds, we're talking about raking. 
we're talking about Muse. Yes, we're talking about Muse. And I had somebody that asked me a question. I believe it was Charlie Newberry that said, how do you know the difference between a bull mew and a cow mew? Sometimes you can't, man, because a bull can make any sound a cow can make. And a cow can make any sound a bull can make. Absolutely. And I have heard bulls, when they are tending and around cows, make a little mew that is just so light and so little. You know, it, it's it's amazing how that happens. I mean, uh, you would think you're like, really? Is that is there a cow in there? And it's not. Uh, Luis, I think you had that experience, didn't you? Yeah, it it, it and, and then also when you know when when you hear that uh, that monkey sound as well. Oh, so a chuckle, right? A little bit. Yeah, different. yeah, but 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 it sounds like a monkey. You know, he's just like, well, what is what is that? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It does yeah. something like that. So, but but I just want to emphasize that mews now. Can I make a mew that sounds a little bit more like a bull? Yes. When I put, do a, mo, a mew through a grunt tube, it gives it a little bit deeper tone. That sounds more <laughs> like that. that breath. Yeah, that breath that it gives it a little bit more deep. You know, yeah, at the end of it, um, barks, chuckles grunts growls now when we're when we're talking about some of these you know when when we're talking about a bark that's like you hear that bark just like that you have a chuckle you get a chuckle like that when you get a grunt it's a little bit longer You get that that grunt coming out. You get that growl. You get that growl sound. Bugles. Understand that there's different kinds of bugles, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Huffs and pants that are. Go ahead, bro. Wine. Yep. Wine. Glunks. Okay, you get the glunks going on. And something a lot of people don't mention are like rattling antlers. Okay. Yeah. So just like bulls that are kind of sparring a little bit. That's, that's some of the bull sounds that, that we can make. Anybody think of some other ones that I'm, that I'm missing there? Kicking, kicking rocks and kicking logs and stuff like that. So know. if you drop down, that's in that third one. There are big animal noises, right? So we got bull sounds, we got cow calf sounds, and we got big animal noises there. So, and, and one thing about the, the bugles is there's different kinds of bugles. Like there are bugles that are at like two cows and two bulls. So there's different. You got an advertising, um, you have an advertising bugle like a more of a uh, location bugle that is for cows where they're advertising where they're at. You've got bulls that will advertise to other bulls on where they're at. Demonstration bugles. And generally, the difference is, is in length. Generally, yeah. when they're talking to the cows, it's a short, like one, 1. 1.5 seconds. And when they're talking to bulls, it's going to be longer because of proximity where they're reaching out. 
Okay. So that's just something for you to think about. So to cows, they would have like advertising. They'd have that demonstration, you know, what people tend to call lip ball bugle. And, and here's something I want to tell people out there. Gilbert's been with me. I called, uh, I've taken a lot of elk and until I think the one that you were with me, Luis, um, the one that we chased down and I shot, um, I never, ever used a lip ball on any of those bulls. And I found, in fact, that sometimes people use those lip balls too much and sound too big too soon and actually scare those critters off. So um, you don't really need the lip ball. I mean, voice inflection, you know, when you get that... That's plenty, man to get that in there and it gets that emotion that happens in there um when you talk about a roundup bugle that's just that quick hard it most people would even think it's more of a location bugle but it's just short and fast okay so and you have challenge bugles or threat they're either challenge or threat they're telling bulls to stay away you know telling look you know you better get out of here right now so you have those those are our bull sounds okay then we have our cow-calf sounds, our chirps. And chirps are, most people think it's a bird out there. They think those chirps, just nice, short, quick like that. You'll get herd mews, and so you'll actually hear them mix sometimes. And I don't know if you remember, Luis, but when we were following that herd that we were uh, trying to get ahead of, and I was trying to stop with that demonstration, you kept hearing. Wait for me. Huh? Wait for me. <laughs> yeah, and actually, that that's more of a kind of a whine, too, for those cows that are, like, telling those bulls, yeah, wait for me. I, you know, here I am, boy, like that, okay? You got those demanding news, and that's just adding voice inflection again. So I'm going to take that same – I'm going to take that same sound. I'm going to add that voice inflection to it so I get more of demand there. We get the loss, the loss muse that are going to put more urgency. And that loss muse bad to the bone. It, it comes out with that urgency. You can hear that more of pleading, you know, hey, I'm lost. Where'd y'all go? Come over here. It almost sounds, it almost has a very similar sound to a, a predator call in yeah. some ways to me, right? Okay. And you, you know, you get those assembly or what they call roundup that could be thought to sound like a lost mew, but it's not that hard scream type of urgency. That bullet you and I had that eight minute standoff on, he would chuckle and Joe would use that lost cow call and he couldn't handle it i mean he's like i'm telling you i'm over here and she'd be like no, i'm over here come on over here and man he couldn't handle it he just had to he had to come figure out what that was calling him over there because she wasn't coming to him 
you know. So it it all made sense once you started figuring out and breaking down how these animals talk to one another. Well, and, and, and what I want people to understand is I, I just want them to hear the sounds. I want you to understand that there's a difference that, you know, you have these sounds, you have raking, you got mews, you got barks, you got chuckles, you got all of these things that are used for different types of motivation. Now, the last part of the sounds we use are like Gilbert, like what you said, big animal sounds, right? Stomps, scuffs, rolling rocks, rustling leaves, snap twigs, right? Yeah. You can even run around, man, and sound and, and kind of make those sounds. Now, now that we know the sounds, let's talk about the motivation, right? In other words, fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. These are sounds that motivate elk to come to us. That's the same thing with the bait. When you use a certain bait, you're using a bait that is trying to trigger something on that fish, right? either to look like something, act like something, get a strike reflex out of that critter. Yeah, fish bite on reflex a lot. You know, uh, we call it, you know, reaction. You know, it's a reaction. Bait runs by them real quick, they react, and that's their instinct to, to react and bite something, eat it, you know. Right. Uh, especially when they're in their mating part of the time of the year where they're guarding nests and stuff like that. They're super reactive. And with elk, elk have what I classify as seven elk behaviors or instincts that we can focus on with our calls to motivate an elk to either respond or come to us. All right. So these are the things ingrained in them. Number one, their herd mentality, maternal instinct. You know, if, if I want to get a cow to come to me, if I want to get a bull to come to me and I, and that bull ain't going to come, well, I can make the cow come to me and I can go ahead and work on that cow's maternal instinct to bring her to me, right? 
um, the, the buddy bros instinct, man, that they have that, you know, early on when they're just wanting to buddy up and they're in that mode, right? And, and guys, this isn't much different than humans. Mm-hmm. You start thinking about this, man. I mean, tell me a woman that doesn't hear a crying baby and turn her head. Mm. Right? Right. You know, um, we have, you know, as humans, we are very social. We do have this herd mentality when we do things. We like to go, you know, and to our little separate cubbies, but we all come out and we kind of get in with the herd. And and I know I'm humanizing some things where in some things with animals, there is no humanizing, but a lot of these behaviors are the same. The whole bachelor thing, buddy thing, where they're just by themselves for so long, except for a certain amount of months during the year. Okay, the need to breed is one of those instinctive behaviors. Possessiveness. Once they have some cows and they're trying to keep them uh, from other bulls coming in and taking that away from protectiveness. That's that's like those bulls that are being territorial and trying to protect that territory. That's a place that they have. That's theirs. That's their area. They're being protective of that or curiosity, curiosity brings in a lot of elk. So I want you to think about those behaviors. And those behaviors happen at some of those instincts, like that herd mentality is just in the elk, right? That maternal instinct is just in there. That buddy thing is going to be broken at a certain time of year. That need to breed is only going to happen at a certain time of year. That possessiveness is more timed. That protectiveness is more timed. But curiosity is something that happens a lot, all the time, right? So what I want to do now is, and, and most people are like, okay, so still, all right, I understand the motivation, or I hope they understand it, because you have to play to those motivations. And so here's what I'm going to say. For example, in order for you to call a bull in, you've got to recognize what kind of bull you're talking to. Right. All right? Once you recognize what type of bull you're talking to, then that determines which of those motivations you want to go towards. And once you know what type of motivation you want to go towards, you know which of the calls you're going to use. For example, for herd mentality, what type of calls am I going to use, guys, or would you use? Well, cows, you know, cow mews, soft cow mews, calf, little calf mews. I mean, all of those things that they're going to do in the herd, talking to one another, whether they're moving or staying in one spot feeding, they're still very vocal animals, you know. So that herd mentality is, you know, lots of, lots of cow mews, lots of, lots of cow calls and stuff like that. Well, especially depending on time of year, right, Gilbert? Because if it's a time of year when it doesn't have a lot of bulls in the group and they're like those younger rags or those or those uh, uh, spikes in there, you're going to hear a lot more mew, chirp, that type of stuff, right? Sure. Now, you take that towards September. Now, when you've got bulls mixed in with the group, now you're going to hear some bugles happen in there. You're going to hear some chuckles happen in there. You're going to hear some other noises that are going to be added to those mews to create the picture of a herd, right? Okay. Yeah. And I think that I think you touched on something that's real critical, Joe. The minute you start hearing a bull chuckling, he's in he's inviting something. Inviting. 
but he's inviting. So you minute you hear a bull chuckle, that should key you in to what's going on. You know, normally he's got either he's talking to you as a bull wanting you to come over to him or he's talking to his cows wanting them to stay there, right? But Or he's talking to another bull, you know, hey. Depending uh, on time of year, right? Depending on the time of year, yeah. Um, but these rascals are early in the, the year, like when we like to hunt them, when they're buddied up, man, they just, they want to be around other elk. So they just come in like, so, you know, we, Carl said a thousand times, they're dumber than a bag of hammers at times. And they just come rolling up on you, five or six of them in a group, just on little bitty cow calls and think there's another herd there that, oh man, we got to go find out who these girls are. I mean, you know, they're new to the block. So we're going to go, we're going to go investigate and try to find out who they are. Well, and think about what's happening at that time. So if you've got a group of five bulls together, the bachelor group like that, um, that's from that uh, pre-rut, right? Now they're going into transition phase from pre-rut to rut. So now you've got bulls that are starting to – they're interested in the sounds of other bulls still – but they're still trying now to start getting that interest about where the cows are because they're getting ready to start gathering those cows. So that's absolutely an attraction. When you talk about maternal instinct, what type of calls are you going to want to use? Yeah, lost calf calls. Yep, absolutely. Um, when you now the buddy bros, until you just do that lost calf call, she's coming. And the calf a lot of times will come too. I mean, think about that calf you called in within about three feet, Joe. I mean, you could hit him in the head with a ball paint hammer, you know? Well, the, the, that one that, you know, grazed my broadhead as if we were standing still like that and just walked around us and the broadhead is sticking out and it would almost graze the broadhead right next to it. Three of us standing there and that, yeah. that calf came up to us and walked right by, I mean, I could have smacked it. I mean, it was that close and, yeah. Yeah, went by Luis's arrow, but we were doing a little <laughs> bit of a herd talk there, and that calf was like, "Oh yeah, I need to be with that herd, right?" You know, she's kind of lost. Yeah, well, she was they're, lost. they're dumber than a day old bag of donuts, you know. <laughs> so, buddy bros, we've already, already talked about those sounds. The need to breed. So, when we're talking about that, there's so many different things as far as that breeding part that you know, can attract a bull. If a bull needs to breed, wants to breed, it's definitely going to be sugar, right? Sugar's going to bring that bull in. So those those cow calls are going to do it. If he's hearing um, that there's a hot cow in the area, that's going to bring him in. What signifies a hot cow? Oh, glunking, man. When you hear a bull glunking, when you hear a bull displaying, when you hear him, you know, all of those things, that really tells you that there's a hot cow in the area. He'll go over there and thrash a tree and start glunking. I mean, I, I think the glunking part's a huge key. You hear you hear that bull glunking, there's a hot cow there. And, and, uh, and then, of course, you know, you'll hear multiple bugles when there's a hot cow around there. Um, Absolutely. Of, there'll be multiple bulls blowing up around you when, when there's a, a, we call a rut fest going on, right? I mean, one cow comes into heat and if those bugles, if those bulls hear it and uh, they hear that type of bugle, they're going, they'll leave cows that ain't in heat to go over there and find that cow in heat. Yep. Absolutely, man. 
that that you hit the nail on the head with that Gilbert man. If they need to breed any kind of sound that makes them think that there's a cow in the area that they can either gather or is a hot cow in estrus, that's absolutely going to strike that man, and that's going to motivate that animal to come in. Uh, if you're trying to get towards the possessiveness of an animal, now that means that in order for me to motivate that animal, if he's being possessive, I either got to bring I either have cows. to put him in a fight or flight, or I got to bring his cow because he's being possessive, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. And protectiveness, protectiveness is if, if, look, if I came over to your house, RC, and I went and banged on your front door, you're going to do something about that, right? I know, I know, I know you keep, you know, the old Smith and Wesson in there. You know, RC's going to get protective real quick because I have just come in his territory. Now, if I'm out there on the front gate and I honk my horn, well, he's going to go out a little bit, you know, like, well, what are you doing here? Right. But, but he's not going to be too aggressive yet because I'm out there outside of his area. But once I start coming in without any per- permission or I try going in your house, it's going to change. And the same thing, if I am advertising as a bull in an area, and this usually happens, and we're going to talk about these in a second, I just want to kind of set this up a little bit. If I go in and advertise in another bull's area that he's had that and he's claimed that area, and I start advertising like, oh, I, I'm coming in, now I'm going to strike that yeah. protectiveness. Okay? Yeah. All right. Yeah coming he's coming to find out who in the hell is in my house mm-hmm. and uh we, we're gonna have a showdown here for sure and i mean you can really see how that that escalates i, I again maybe the first bull I ever called in in my life for chav i had no clue that that's what i was doing you know but i was challenging him the whole time and man he just he couldn't handle it you know he was like man that Every time he'd bugle, I'd step on him and bugle right back in his face. And then, you know, I'd cow call long, drawn, drawn out cow calls. And as soon as he'd bugle, I'd bugle right back at him. And man, he was just not having any of that, Joe. I mean, he comes storming in there looking for us. Absolutely, it, man. He was not happy with what was going on. Then, then there was another bull below us and that bull blew up and here he comes. And it was like a two herds converge in the middle of that because one guy was up there advertising and putting on a show, you know, uh, and they came to me, you know, uh, but I really didn't, I, again, for, you know, few, 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 few and far between calling, uh, times and I'm just trying to do what they're doing. And then here, you know, before you know it, you got the whole mountain on fire with rut and elk and it was an unbelievable episode. But now that I know what I know today, I know why it happened like that. You know, uh-huh. uh, and it was, I wouldn't say dumb luck, but we were doing what we thought was, you know, doing. But now that I know what, what the language is about, boy, you can sure tell that that's the perfect scenario to make that happen. As soon as, as soon as that bull seems defensive, you just keep, keep aggravating him, you know. And, uh, obviously he didn't have cows with him, but he knew there was a, a rut fest going on up there. He heard cows and bulls both. So he's wanting to come, Come see what's up, you know, and you're in his area, in his home area, you know. So, yeah, it was uh, eye-opening for sure, Joe. So let me ask you, Cody, let me ask you a question. Because you've been listening for a little while here, 
Is there anything that um, has kind of struck you a little bit different? Is there any questions that have come up? Or are, are there something that has come out of that that uh, that's making you wonder a little bit about anything? No, I think, uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. You've got, you got to understand what that bull's saying to you at the time that you're calling. Um, you know, I, I, we, we discussed a couple scenarios yesterday when we were talking and, uh, you know, um, just my lack of knowledge of not knowing what that elk was saying to me, he was responding, but I didn't know what he was asking or yeah. what he was telling me to do. And so, you know, just like you said, what the scenario, what is it? And then how do we play towards that emotion of that elk and doing the right thing at the right moment? Yeah, and I think a lot of people, here's the thing that you got to be careful of too. You got to be careful of being happy with responses. Yeah. Because there are so many guys that get in a situation where that bull is telling him to stay away screaming at him. So he's staying away screaming back and they have the screaming match back and forth, back and forth. And it could go on for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then the bull just gets bored because he's told the bull to stay away and the bull's doing exactly that. So he turns and takes off and does his thing. And then guys go back to camp and they're like, man, I had this bull going, right? <laughs> you know, uh, they, they get real excited and it is cool. It is cool. But that's not the goal, man. The goal isn't just to have a shouting match back and forth, you know. Uh, and I can tell you this, man, after about minute five where I'm talking to a bull that hasn't moved, hasn't come towards me. Time to go. Yeah, it's, it's time to go. It's time to change tactics, man, right there. Instead of just beating my, you know, keep hitting him over the head with the same thing, thinking I'm going to change something. Well, so was the reason why he wasn't moving. You know, there was a he wasn't absolutely leaving, wasn't leaving his cows that he had. Right, he ain't he ain't budging off of that. Yeah, right? so he probably had some cows that were maybe been in estrus or was going into estrus, and he's not gonna leave them now. If now, you know, if they weren't, and he knew that was something going on over there, well, he might leave. But he, if they're not leaving, there's a reason why they're not leaving. Well, and he, he did exactly that. He was, he has cows with him and he's telling you to stay away from his cows and you are staying back. And yeah. then what happens is he's there doing all of this and the cows get bored and start walking off. Well, now it's time for him to go too because he's going to follow the cows. And then that's when you lose them. It's not really him necessarily losing that interest. His cows mm -hmm. lose interest and they take off. Because the cows are paying attention to that other bull over there. And and I tell you what, unless they're going to a destination, if they're at a destination or they're headed to a destination and you're in any kind of path towards that destination and you sound like a bigger bull than the one they're with, you can bring them cows right to you. Right to you. Right and to you. Them too. Yep. So let's take this a step further. We've talked about the sounds we talked about the motivations for these animals. And now what we want to do is we want to match the bait to the bull type, the motivation or the situation. Okay. And, and most people don't, you know, when they think about a bull, they, they break it down to this. I've got rags, satellites, herd. That's how they break it down. I got, well, and we got spikes, right? So I got spikes, I got rag, satellite, and I got hurt. That's how they break it down. 
here's how I break down bulls. You've got buddy bulls. You've got destination bulls. You've got bedded bulls. You've got territorial bulls. You have timid bulls. You have satellite bulls. You have small bull gathering cows. You have herd bulls. And then you've got those critters across the fence. That's the situation, right? Mm. And we'll, we'll come to that. But what I want to do is I want to talk about these different types of bulls because it's critical for you to understand what kind of bull you're dealing with. And the best way to understand what kind of bull you're dealing with is by knowing time of year, time of day, right? What's going on with that? You know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, phase of the rut, you know, all of these things and the situation that's going on by what they're saying, how they're responding. Like, for example, a buddy bull. Is a buddy bull going to happen September 24th? Is, you know, and, and I got to be careful of this because uh, I'm going to say no, but there is some yes, because I still have seen raghorns of the same size hanging together, right? Yeah. Around the perimeter. Uh, so that does happen some still. Um, but those buddy bulls are those bulls that are still in bachelor mode prior to, you know, getting ready to go into that transition that are starting to get a little bit more testosterone and starting to work towards the next thing. Destination bulls. What's a destination bull? That's that bull that is just that. He was down all night in a feed area and now he's going to go follow his cows or he's going to go, depending on the time, he's going to bed. He is going to a destination. Now, a bull with cows is going to go to that destination because he's following the cows. A bull without cows, you can alter that destination a whole lot more because he is not following something else, right? You can alter that. Bulls by themselves will, they'll like, they're just cruising, man. They'll just be cruising and advertising themselves. And so they could end up in all kinds of places where they bed down. They'll end up on the side of a ridge or down on the side of a mesa or underneath uh, some tall oak in the middle of an area. They can end up underneath, uh, you know, uh, junipers out in flat areas it just depends on where they're cruising because they're forest gumping it man okay but a destination bull generally when we think about it is a bull that's going from their bed uh in the afternoon down to their night bed or their feeding area or they're going from their feeding area in the morning and vice versa yeah right okay so let's go down through these bulls and let's talk about what the motivation is, and what we can probably use the sounds and see if this starts to make sense. So let's take the buddy bull, okay? Buddy bull, early season, pre-rut. We got to play towards their curiosity, towards their bro motivation, and their herd mentality. Is a buddy bull going to come in for me challenge bugling him? No, no, you'll run him off. Right. So I I feel like... a buddy bull, they're, they like to spar. So you get a lot of, uh, clean, little clean, clang, clang. So that's where a little bit of rattling will do. And they, 
they'll talk to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're constantly making little cow mews and stuff like that. And that's that's how you can tell if it's a buddy bull or not. And because of the time of year, right? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's really, but you hit the nail on the head, dude, because they're doing all this stuff to prepare themselves yeah. for the next phase, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like when we see bucks that are raking, buck deer trying to get that neck stronger. The bulls are doing the same thing. They're so raking early season. Yeah. Is one of the best calls for just about any bull. Because when a bull hears raking, they don't know how big the bull is. They're not hearing the temperament. They're not getting challenged. They don't know if they're demonstrating for them, if they're just strengthening up, getting ready, or if they're demonstrating for cows. There's not enough information, but they know it's a bull. And they're curious, too. Yeah. And they're curious. And what, do you, what are they curious for, Chap? Well, they're, they want to know what's going on, you know, uh, when he killed that uh, that freak bull, you know, um, I saw several bulls break off from the main main group to circle around and see what the other bull looked like. You know, they're real curious in that situation. The the four or five rags we called in that year, Joe, we had just got done meeting with a, another hunter in the trail, and we started a little old party around there, and those bulls come in like, you know, like – herd of buffalo on us and they were just thinking there was a herd moving through the woods so they they were coming to the party to see what was going on we kind of put on a little scenario and decided to move on and after about 25 minutes and we hadn't walked 200 yards and here come four or five bulls just coming like loping down the trail like oh man we're gonna find we're gonna find the cow party up here you know we heard a big herd of elk up here where's everybody at and they come rolling up in there on us like looking for for other elk and they they were very uh very nonchalant you know and how did they come in were they making noise i mean were they were they talking yeah, I mean, all of me, 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 me. I mean, here they come. They, they, they're all making little bitty noises to one another, you know. But they never screamed a bugle, right? Ne- never. Never screamed uh, a bugle. Basically, it was like a decoy, that decoy, the predator decoy. Man, they saw that, and man, they, they were on that like a rat on a Cheeto. You know? So, so I, I'm trying to like connect what you're saying and what Chav's saying is that, you know, when, when you do raking, and that curiosity of those bulls are to come in and to see what type of bull that is. They're trying to get a visual because again, you're not going to see a three by three challenging a six by six, right? Mm-hmm. So they go in right away and those horns mean something to them. Okay. So they're going to go and measure up whatever they're seeing. So when you think about those sounds like, like, uh, RC said, you've got You've got the clinking from the rattling. There's a lot of that that happens there. You got the raking that's happening. You know, um, I, most of those bulls are going to chuckle at that time of year instead of, you know, they might do location bugles. <clears throat> they might do those real, um, uh, low emotion mm-hmm. bugles, you know, and they're going to do some, yeah, so it's a whole different, low testosterone type thing, right? Okay. So I, that's what I'm trying to say is think about what kind of bull that is. And that tells you what is their motivation. 
And then what type of sounds do you use for that motivation? Is it making sense now? Absolutely. Starting to put it together. Okay, so like let's take that destination bowl, right? That destination bowl is most likely a bowl that is in rut transition, rut, or post-rut. And I add post-rut to that because what happens in post-rut is the big herd bulls peel off. And then those young herd, those young bulls that first gathered cows before, before they got them taken away by the herd bull and got their butts kicked. Now, once those big guys leave, they go back and they're grabbing those cows up again. So now they go from a situation where they first had them and were following them to where they lost them and they're following the big guy hoping to get an opportunity to where the big guy leaves and now they're going to go in and play house again like I'm the big guy, right? So that's why I add that as far as destination bull. So when we think about a destination bull, what type of motivations, what types of things are motivating a destination bull of the things that we talked about, the motivational things there? Yeah, he wants to find a cow and he need to breed, right? Need to breed. And, and that's going to be both cows and bulls. So in other words, what I mean by that, even though we have a destination bull that we know is moving off, well, are we going to call that bull back to us when he's going to a destination? Probably not. Ain't happening. It ain't happening. But we can get up on the parallel side of him, mm-hmm. and now we can actually play towards the need to breed of both the bull or the cows. And here's what I mean by that. We can sound like a bigger bull than the bull they're with to pull them towards us. And pulling them towards us, we're going to pull him towards us, right? Or we can sound like uh, a, a cow that's lost or a cow that is ready yeah, to breed, mm-hmm. right? Okay? So we can play towards that. Or we can sound like another bull with a hot cow and maybe pull him off. You know, because if we're up parallel with that, going the same direction, there is a chance. Now, it's just going to have to play out. It is elk hunting, and that's what makes it is all the cool variables. But what I'm trying to get you to think about is when you're dealing with a destination bull, you're dealing with his cows as much as you're dealing with him, one or the other. Okay? All right? All right? Mm-hmm. So when you think about that, so you got the need to breed you're dealing with, the herd mentality, or if I want to pull those cows to me, what's another instinct that I could play on? Yeah, their maternal instinct. Maternal. Absolutely. Lost calf. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely, man. You know, so. We just watched that lost calf work almost to perfectly when his first bully killed. Yeah. Well, you, you take a look at Luis's bull that he kills in 2019. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah. Lost calf, lost cow, pulled them over and bull followed, man. Cow came through first, and I don't know how how far away was the cow when it came through first. Do you remember, Luis? Kind of, you know the so, time frame. So yeah, the, there. So there was a the calf, the calf, and the 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 cow um, came in first, and they stopped right at the um, at the edge between the park and the trees, mm-hmm. and and there was another. 
cow that seemed to be the one that that bull was chasing that pretty much, you know, try to follow that other cow and calf. And uh, it was probably about a minute uh, behind. And, you know, she came over and she stopped in front of me at 19 yards. And, uh, and then I saw the bull just, just, you know, following, you know, like on a string, man. So at that point, the bull decided to follow and I figured he's going to follow that same path that that cow, uh, followed. So, I mean, the bull came in with and stopped at the same spot that that cow had stopped and that's where I shot him. So it was, we pulled the calf. The calf came running. The cow came the after cow. the calf. And then this other cow came after the calf and the cow. And the bull came after the last cow. Right. <laughs> so pulling the cows. And, and here's something that I, that I, you brought up a great point. Because if you remember, <clears throat> that calf and that cow came to a spot and they stopped and they looked. They moved mm-hmm. on. That next cow comes, stops almost the exact same spot, yeah. and then moves on, and then the bull. So what I want to do is I want people to understand that every one of those critters stopped in a stop-and-scan spot. Mm-hmm. Where they stopped was where they felt like they could look into the trees, check for safety, check ahead, and hear and try to locate the sound that they were hearing me up there on that hill, and then... Yeah. Once they realized that it's further than, then they felt safe and moved into it, right? But each one of them did that. They stopped and scanned. So that bull stopped to scan for where that, those cows were, man. They were looking to see where they went before he went in. So, yeah, so we understand that destination bull. Now, when we talk about a bedded bull, a bedded bull could be any time of year, any time of year. Right. Um, and it means different things at different times of the year. It could be, um, you know, it, it could be a bull that just goes and beds up on the side early season that's staying in an area, he's being territorial. But where it works best to call a bed of bull in is during rut transition or rut. Right. So when we have a bull with cows, that is the best time in midday to pull a better bull in and kill him, all right? And the reason for that is is because you have multiple motivations now. You can play off the breeding motivation. You can play off the possessive motivation. You can play off the territorial motivation. And it all depends on how he escalates. And I can do all of that starting simply with cow calls, then introducing a bull with raking that again does not let that bull know how big he is. You're not challenging him. You're not engaging him. You're creating your own scenario. Okay. So a better bull is easiest to pull in you. And it's always best to be on his same level. You got to make it easy on that bull to come to you. And we talked about that, Cody, right? We talked about that before, you know, you talked about a situation that you had where you were above the bull the whole time, right? You were in a dominant position on that bull. And now you've got that bull having to come up to you in dominant position, most likely with cows below him, not a good situation for him. Okay. So that's just something to, you got to kind of think about those situations. All right. Territorial bull, you know, um, Early season, pre-rut, rut transition, 
rut. That bull can be territorial during any of these times. And what you want to play towards is that bull's possessiveness, his protectiveness. Now, I've said this in both like, let's take that bedded bull, right? And I talked about best during the rut. Well, if I'm going to pull him off, I mentioned the cow calls and I mentioned introducing the bull. But what is the one thing that's going to be so hard for him to resist? Yeah, women. Yes, sir. <laughs> yep. He starts hearing breeding noises and thinking there's a hot cow over there when he already has his bedded down and he's gotten up and scent checked him and none of them are hot cows, but he's hearing this. Grinders tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. Okay, come on. I want to jump down from the aggressiveness to the timid bull because the timid bull could be any time of year, right? That's a bull that he's that lower age class. He's not something that's really, I mean, he's, he's not even a spike, man. He's not going to get avoided like a spike is. He's still going to catch the horns of a, of a herd bull if he gets too close, you know, and he's not going to be the guy to do a, he's going to be that one. He's going to be that bull that is going to bugle at you from a hundred, 150 yards. And he's always going to stay at a hundred and 150 yards if you bugle back at him. Right. He, you got to cut the distance on him. Oh, dude, he's that little dude, man, that's going, yeah, you want some of this? Yeah, while he's on the other side of the river, right? right. Yeah. It's like, now he ain't going to come up close to you and do it, 
but he's going to stick, keep that distance. So if we want to bring that bull in, what motivations can we utilize? His curiosity, herd talk, you know, he, how he wants to be around the herd, you know, so not necessarily being aggressive because that can get him to go the other way. Right. But all the herd talk that you can get, little small cow chirps, few contact buzzes, you know, maybe a lost cow call too. I mean, that'll get his curiosity up a lot. Hey, I've been telling you I'm over here, but now you, you're worrying me. I'm come to check you out, you know, because cause you acting like you don't know where I'm at. So, yeah. Yeah. And then those timid bulls are the ones that you can get after, you know. And am I wanting to, like, if this guy was to now, that timid bull, if he was to chuckle or if he was to give us that, that low class, you know, bugle, am I wanting to scream back and challenge or introduce a bull into that if he's answering cow calls? Heck no. If he's answering cow calls, you had better stay to cow calls, man. And you can, it, you know, we say you can tell by their voice, but that's not always the case. Chav, We've heard different bulls that you would have sworn was small or you would have sworn was big and all different voices. Yep, they surprise you. <laughs> That's why Chad says go – if you hear a bugle, go investigate because you don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've heard some of those real pretty three-toners, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the re- real musical bugle. Yeah, and then and then what we think are humans making a bad call, and in reality, we be a, a real big bull. So yeah. you got to investigate every call. Oh yeah. So if we know if we know we want to use need to breed, because yes, do these bulls want to breed? Heck yeah, they want to. Their testosterone's getting up. I mean, they're still boys, right? It don't matter that they're thirteen. They, you know, they might not be the twenty-one year old that that's got the gal, but they're the thirteen that's still hoping and wishing, right? So, uh, they still have that need to breed. So, what type of sounds are we going to use for that timid bull? You got to stay at or below his uh, ranking level. Absolutely, man. I yeah. want to chuckle, maybe a chuckle to invite him over. You know. Um, Maybe just have my nano call. The thing I want to tell you, though, is if, if you get him responding to cow calls oh, and you okay. don't have to introduce that bull, then don't. All right? Now, if he's hanging up because he's trying to get that cow to come to him, well, you might have to introduce some raking or something like that but so that he doesn't really think it's – anything big there's no aggressive. I, learned, I learned so much watching a, a group of bulls now it was it was more than their bachelor group there were some bigger bulls there with them but these were timid bulls they knew that there was a herd across a barrier and they they didn't really understand what was going on but we had slipped up in there me and the ninja we slipped up in there in their in their bedroom in their house and got up on them and uh, we had them at 12 feet at one time, and uh, it was crazy. But we did that with really soft cow calls and uh, throwing with our bugle tube behind us, and that kept them motivated and curious, but they were very timid. They, they did not want to come across the barrier, and they did not want to 
uh, engage in other bull sounds at all. And there was some bugling going on around us, but they were very timid about it. But those few little cow calls were enough curiosity to kill the cat. And one of them finally decided to jump the fence, right? And then it was over after that. But it took a long time, didn't it, Chap? Yeah, it sure did. To make that happen. Yeah. So anytime we get an opportunity to uh, observe elk, you know, use that. You know, if you kill early, hang around and and just study them because it's amazing what you can learn. Absolutely. And and you brought up, uh, there was something else I thought about before I move on on this that I want to put out there right right away. It's like, Gilbert, when you're fishing, are (laughs) you? I wonder how many people have been out there with the rod and they've done everything right. They found the right place. They're using the right bait, but they weren't ready to set a hook when they got the hit. I mean, there's certain ways you can hold the rod where when you get a hit, you're not going to get that fish, right? Sure. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah, finishing is the big deal, man. You know, getting that hook buried, you know, feeling the bite and then getting that hook buried so you get him on on the line i mean for sure and there's a certain way you hold your pole to do that right 100 percent, man yeah Yeah. so and and the parallel i'm trying to make here is guys whenever you stop to call make sure that you are in position for a hit or an unexpected encounter (laughs) I, i can't tell you how many times we have stopped at a spot to call and and i've seen guys do it they'll stop where they're in a place where they've got branches all around them, you know, and all of a sudden an animal shows up and they can't draw because, you know, or they didn't stop in shadowed area and an elk comes up all of a sudden and sees them standing in the wide open. Think about where you're at when you call, especially if you're moving through trees and you're chumming and you're doing different things and trying to do a scenario, you had better when you stop be in a position where you know you've got shooting lanes, you got the ability to draw, you're shadowed. Think about your position to set the hook if something does bite, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, even your feet, how you're standing, right? That all of that stuff is important. Okay. So, Moving on, I think to me, I think this is the easiest bull to kill, and that's the satellite bull. I, you know, I, a herd bull can be real difficult to kill because it's hard to pull him off. There's ways to do it, and we're going to talk about that. But that satellite bull, that's that guy, man, that is during rut transition. It's rut. It's post rut. We need to play towards his need to breed, and that need to breed is going to cause him to die because he is trying. He's around this herd bull. He's been buzzing around him. He's been screaming. They've been fighting on the side. They're doing all this, getting their butt whooped. And so giving him low-hanging fruit, giving him another option that he can go to is the best thing. I mean, that is a booger that is in need he is wanting and so if you give him low-hanging fruit (laughs) so what type of calls if if we're wanting to do that if we're wanting to play towards his motivation what type of things we're going to use in that satellite bull what's the multiple things we can use i love the lost cow on that satellite bull man love it 
he's he's wanting to find her anyway. So he's you know his need to find something is um, I think it's one of the best calls I've ever seen, especially in that in that transition phase from pre rut to rut. Right? I mean, those satellites are out marching around and. Man, they hear that lost cow, they're going to go investigate. Oh, man, somebody left a cow behind? Ooh, buddy, that's right, prime for the pickings. Yeah, yeah. and I think I think but, it, it also ahead. depends on what, what type – sorry, my tongue is all twisted <laughs> – what time of this, uh, the year it is too, right? So early season, um, you know, if the raking works really well, um, because as RC was saying, you know, they, they like to, uh, spar. Um, I, I remember, I remember that one time that I actually, uh, ran into a, a group of bachelors and, uh, and man, they, they were just kind of sparring and, and, and doing low, low, uh, mews. Um, but, you know, these satellite ones kind of being, to, you know, kind of around the herd and not quite in the herd again. The, so, bro, uh, just real quick, man, the, the before the rut happens, they're actually uh, going to be like small bulls gathering cows or they're going to be – it, what makes them a satellite bull is the fact that there's a herd bull with the herd. And yeah. You got – yeah, you got animals that are rutting and stuff. That's what makes them a satellite, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that, – so, so would you say, Joe, for clarity for myself, would you say that um, early season before the rut, they're not really satellites? They're not. No, they're in buddy mode. Um, they, you know, um, they are set in pecking order. They might be, um, a possibly a territorial bull, but not probably not. You know what I mean? They're, they're. That's a good clarification because when I, when I think of satellite, I immediately kind of think of like a rack horn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's some big satellites. Not, but not necessarily then. No, no, because mm-hmm. what you got to think about this is, a herd bull with his cows are the center of the universe. And those satellites are the things buzzing around yeah. on the outside trying to get into that universe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, so, the concept makes sense. But again, in my mind, for some reason, I thought it was just, it's a satellite because it's a smaller bull. No, there are satellite bulls that are bigger than the herd bull. Oh, okay. Yeah. Look, I, I seen a big five one time as a herd bull. Yep. And- had all kinds of satellites around him trying to whip him, but they couldn't whip that big five. I mean, he mm-hmm. just, he's bigger than them, bigger bodied, heavier antlered, but he didn't have as many points as the other bulls that were trying to come in there and steal from him. And but, he was actually probably an old herd bull on the decline. Yeah, was right. an old, old monarch for yep. sure. Absolutely. And Very I nice. watched a five by five whoop and take the cows of four different six by sixes. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, that bull, that bull that Jeremy Christofferson killed with a muzzleloader, he actually whipped a big six by six, and he was all jollywopped like that one Joe shot a couple of years back, had the big drop time and all that. But that bull whipped everything in the whole pasture, and he was not near as big as some of those other bulls that were around. So those those satellite bulls are so susceptible to a scenario or a rut fest that we put on you know when you start sounding like a herd with multiple bulls or even a herd bull 
with maybe some, a couple of challengers or a lost cow, like when we do a lost cow pickle with that, they are so susceptible to that because they've been trying to get at these cows at this one bull and it hasn't worked for them. And if there's other satellites there that are in line ahead of them that are bigger and better than them because they've all been scrapping on the outside, well, they're going to go to something else. So they might go try something else if they hear there's another herd with other opportunity. So they are really susceptible to that. That's okay. seven I killed in 2019. He was a satellite bull. Mm-hmm. Yep. We, we called him with that lost cow call, and he couldn't handle it. Amongst a few other things, Joe had a, a couple of, you know, bugles like there was another bull up there with her. But, I mean, he couldn't handle that lost cow call. It, it brought him literally three-quarters of a mile away from us. Yeah. yeah. But that was a satellite bull. He wasn't a herd bull. Yep. So let me ask you about a small bull gathering cows. Think about what points in the rut is that going to happen. Early. Yeah. It's going to happen early, right? Then they're going to be trying everything they can during the rut, mm-hmm. right? If, and that's that bull that gets one cow and is happy as can be, man. He's just, he, yeah, he is that bull that I called in in Colorado, right? Yeah. yeah. That's that guy. He is just so happy, man, that he's got him a girl and, you know, so that, and then back when you get back to the post rut and the other big bulls are tired and have come off. Okay. So, you know, when you think about that, he still has that need to breed, still has that curiosity, you know, and I use cow calls to bring him absolutely because he's, that's what he's looking for. So if you think about what their motivation is and then what calls go that is this all start? I mean, does it make sense? I'm um, Cody. Is this, is this starting to? Make sense for you, bud? No, it's making complete sense. Um, I had a question though. So when you're talking about the satellite bull, um, you know, would, would a breeding sequence away from that actually the, the main herd, would that be intriguing for that, for that satellite Absolutely. bull? Absolutely. That's how I killed my bull this, this past year. We had, uh, we put the whole breeding sequence on and he came in silent. He was coming in. He was a satellite bull coming in, trying to check out the party. But we were, we'd gotten disgruntled for waiting on him. So we we were videoing ducks in the middle of the wall, you know. <laughs> and here he come rolling up behind us. And it was just, you know, it, fate had it. But, I mean, that's what he was coming to was a, a scenario that we'd put on, huh, RC? Yep. So l- let me ask you a, qu- a question, Cody. A breeding sequence, when you think about the sounds of a breeding sequence, you got glunks, huffs, moans, right? You've got raking going on, you know, uh, possibly a display bugle, but there's really no reason for it if you want to keep it low, right? If you want to keep the audibles low. So if you're keeping all these low audibles, these whines, these moans, these little groans and stuff like that, can a bull out there that hear that tell how big that bull is? No, no, not Absolutely. at all. Not that's at kind of, all. That's kind of what I what I like what I like about that. You know, using those sounds is that you're not displaying that you're something big. And even though you might have a satellite, like you guys are just talking about, have a satellite bull, he may be you know the largest rack in the herd, mm-hmm. but he doesn't he doesn't know what you are. He thinks you're just another little bull. Not only that, if I, and and if I'm making frustrated breeding noises as a bull. That could be that frustration comes across as a why because that cow's not letting me breed her. Right. Right. 
and I'm frustrated. And that cow might be saying, no, it ain't happening. You ain't big enough for me, right? And I'm I'm just right there doing all that tells another bull, hey, man, this might be your chance right here. So, yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> anything that is going to show that there are other cows with the possibility of breeding going on, whether it's a rut fest or whether it's a herd with a lost cow calf, you know, any of those types of things can draw those satellites off because why would a lost cow calf draw them in? Well, now they can cut that cow out and, you know, kind of have their own thing to tend and see if they have the possibility of that, right? So you just thinking about that. The herd bull. What time of year or type, not time of year, but what time of the rut are you going to have herd bulls, man? Yeah, they're right in the middle of it, Joe. Yep. As soon as the cows get popping, they're right in the middle of it, gathering and right in the middle of the rut, man. Little pre, little pre, pre rut gathering cows a little bit. And then as soon as them first ones start popping off, man, it's on like Donkey Kong. So if you wanted RC to pull in a herd bull, what are you going to play towards? I think that what I would actually do is uh, see where they're headed. I mean, you know, if it's early in the afternoon or in the morning, they're going to bed. That's, I would just say, okay, now I know where he's going and just Play your thermals just right and get right in there and make it. I mean, it's kind of like you listen to this whole thing and it all boils down to be a lover, not a fighter. You know, every incident happens that way. You know, that's what how you start. And if it doesn't work and then you go to something else. But yeah, I mean, just... Yeah, if he escalates to being a fighter, I can yeah. escalate to being a fighter, exactly. right? Exactly. Like the true legend. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and what, what you're saying makes perfect sense in that if you have a herd bull, once he gets to a bedded area and they're bedded down, yeah. now I can play on that because I have a captured audience, right? So exactly. what type of calls am I going to use for that herd bull? Mostly cow calls. Mm-hmm. And, and just, you know, depends on how close you get. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you get in there <laughs> within, you know, 100 yards and he's he's just and, and he's kind of talking to you a little bit back, I mean, put a challenge on and see what happens. Exactly. So you're, you're and you're right. You can either do fight or flight. You can work on. You know, mm-hmm. get in his dish and, and see if right. he's going to either fight you or run off with those cows, right? Right. Okay. I can, if I can sound like an insistent cow that's calling him over because I'm ready to breed, that's a possibility. Or I can pull the cows to me. I'm either going to try to pull the bull or I'm going to try to pull the cows, one or the other. Yeah, and you can work the slow play in there too, Joe, test his temperature, you know. Absolutely. If, and, and if at any time during that slow play he talks to you, you got him. You oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. As soon as he starts talking to you, it's on then. Then you can start the escalation process, right? And, and, and what people have to he answers you. Yeah. Any 
what people have to understand about a slow play is it's just an extended breathing sequence. That's right. That's, That's right. all it is. Okay. It, you're, you're, you're just not warming something up, right? Not really talking to him. You're talking to her. But as soon as he comes off of that and you're in, like RC said, you're within that 100, 125 yards and he pipes up because he hears another bull with a hot cow. Now you're inside his bubble. He's not really liking that. There are a couple of things that you can do that when he does pipe up and gets really pissed off, you bark, scream at him, and draw that line, and now let's see what he's going to do. Because now you said, hey, you come over here, you're getting your ass whooped, right? Now we've got a scenario where he's come out of that bedroom, he's hot because you're in the middle of it. Now maybe you carved off one of his cows and he didn't see it, but he really doesn't know. So he's going to come investigate that whole thing, right? But, again, I think it's key what the legend said was you got to get yourself in position. Got a lot of eyes on you, right? He's got a lot of cows probably, and he's a big herd bull. He's smart. It ain't his first rodeo. So you got to work the wind, stay really uh, vigilant about working the wind and being patient, right? I think patience is the key to killing this herd bull. You can't just run in there with your hair on fire and make it happen, you know. He's just not going to tolerate it. And do well, some I, raking. If you do some raking and he responds to that? Yes, 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 yes. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. And and I'll tell you this. If you get in close enough that you're within shooting distance of one of his cows, oh, man, I and, and the wind is right and you don't have nothing to worry about because thermals have changed and stuff like that already, man, yeah. just sit there and wait because he's going to get up and check those cows, right? Yes. So hey, that's going to be yeah. Especially if you got eyes on him. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's a patient game, right? You know, and sometimes they'll just get up and come to you. You don't have to do a whole lot. You don't have to press, you know. I think a lot of guys get call happy. And once you're inside that bubble, man, then it's about becoming a really good woodsman and understanding how to get him tight. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm that dude, man. I'm that dude that's like – so impatient uh, and, and you start playing you start putting monsters under the bed man you're like oh the wind's going to change dude oh yeah. you know one man, of them cows yeah. are going to smell me man yeah. and, i mean you just start creating all of these negative thoughts that that pushes when you don't really have it. september wow yeah. now chav is the one chav will sit there and just wait and and be patient on it and you know i i'm uh, I'm the one that's going to screw it up. So, <laughs> so that's pretty much that. I think we had the goal when we talked about the bait and we talked about the bait. I think you now can understand our hope. Our listeners can understand a little bit of the whys and hows, you know, how you take the sounds and the sounds work towards the motivation. They match with that. And then you take that bull and you figure what that bull, that type of bull's motivation is and use those sounds that are going to strike that motivation. Okay. Uh, and, and I hope that's worked out for y'all. And the next time that we get together on cast calling, we're going to talk about presentation. All right. Just like you, Gilbert, when you have the bait, you still got to know how to present it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Presentation's a hundred, you know, it's a hundred percent of being successful or not. You don't present the bait right, you ain't catching the fish. There you go. For sure. Joe, what an amazing podcast today. What some of the most awesome stuff that you've talked about is really how to interpret how these bulls sound so we know what to go and do with them. Guys, I, I just want to tell you, it's 40 plus years of knowledge, you know, 
in 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 this podcast here of, of elk calling. I mean, the legends here have been hunting longer than that. I mean, you got Joe who's killed multiple bulls many many years in a row. Uh, I'm a baby when it's considered in this in this type of hunting group, but I'm I'm very honored to be part of this, you know, and. Uh, I hope you like the content we put out today because it's amazing. It talks directly to what Joe talks about is cast calling, right? And, uh, it's fantastic content. I know, uh, I know Luis is, uh, itching to get out there and, and use our new calls this year and see how, how the elk respond. That's, that's for sure. But guys, if you like what we're doing, them, them cats are in trouble. Bernardo's <laughs> got the call for sure. You know, we're getting ready to ask everybody to if they like what we're doing to, to rate and review us. Look, y'all, uh, I'm I'm asking you if if you're if we're giving stuff to you that's a value, please let us know that it's a value to you. But yeah. just take a few moments, go give us a rating, give us a review, so that we can find out if we're doing what you you know. If, if we're deserving of the value that, that we're hoping to put out there. And if you're seeing that and we're helping you help us out a little bit so we can continue to help you because those reviews, uh, those are, those are important to the type of people that want to help sponsor us or, or want to take part in what we do. So please take a moment to do that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Gil. Oh, I think he froze up. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he got so serious about it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Gilbert, don't be upset. It's all right. It's Go ahead, bro. Close this out, man. <laughs> Sorry about that, Joe. I lost you for a second. That's all right, man. You looked great though. You looked serious. I was I was I was out there doing some pleading, man, and you just looked like mm. Yeah, had one of them unleashed faces. Yeah. <laughs> no, man. I, I again, like Joe said, you know, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, review us. You got to go to Apple Podcast or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. Also, man, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're gonna hammer that this this season with more cool videos and YouTube stuff. I know Luis is putting together some stuff on heavy arrows and we're going to be, we're going to be hammering all the video stuff that we get this year and on both of our elk hunts. You know, if you guys, just a reminder to all of our listeners, if you'd like your question answered on our show, just send your question to info at elkbros.com. That's Great one tonight too. At elkbros.com. Do what, brother? There were some great questions today, man. No doubt. Fantastic questions. And like we say here in the Lone Star State, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Peace, Uh, peace, everybody. And for our grinders out there, here's some more music. Tony Wintrip to the show. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Oh, Cody, thanks for being here. Yeah. We can't wait, bro. You. Thank you, guys. Cody, pleasure meeting you, brother. Yes, sir. Look forward to it. I got a whole bag of tricks for five by fives and six by six. Whether there's snow or a bit of rain, all that mountainous terrain. I got a pair of boots that fit just right, and belts called get them close to my sight. When I pull the string and I watch that carbon hit
Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.